0: you could all open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, this morning, chapter 3, this morning we'll be in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Si habla español, abran sus Biblias al libro de Efesios, capítulo 3, versículos 1 a 13. It's about three quarters or even a little bit more through your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have extras under the chairs of the center aisle, or you could just bring up your phone, bring up your phone's browser, search Ephesians 3, we'll be reading from the ESV version, and I'll do the rest. In Victor Hugo's classic work, Les Miserables, Jean Valjean, the central character of the story, a hardened criminal. He's transformed into into a loving, selfless servant, somebody who gives his life to serve the poor and the oppressed, among whom are his own adopted daughter named Cossette. But he does so. He lives this life at tremendous personal cost and sacrifice. His commitment to serving others, his commitment to extending hand of love and service to the poor and the oppressed
1: costs him.
0: And in a famous line, speaking to those who care for him, he says, even the darkest night will end, and the sun will rise. Far before Victor Hugo wrote into existence Jean Valjean, there was a man named Paul who authored this letter to the church at Ephesus. And Paul, very similarly to Jean Valjean, was a hardened criminal. Somebody who devoted his life to violently persecuting Christians until the Lord met him on a dirt road to a town called Damascus and revealed himself to Paul. And Paul, similarly, was transformed into a servant of others, a servant of people like those of the church in the city of Ephesus. And he became a man who was devoted to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and and writing letters proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like this letter right here to the church at Ephesus. But like Jean Valjean, he did so at tremendous personal cost.
1: This letter, written by Paul, in verse 1 of chapter 3, reveals that he's writing this letter from prison. He's gone up against the Roman Empire and he's in prison
0: and his execution is soon coming. He has been beat. He has been stoned. He has been whipped. He has been shipwrecked. He has starved. He has come near death. He has been mocked by his people And those who aren't his people. And he gives a whole litany of what he's experienced in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 28. Yet, here in verse 13, at the end of this passage this morning, Paul tells his readers, So I ask you
1: not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. Why does he ask? This church not to lose
0: heart over his terrible circumstances. Well, because, because of what happens, what he says between verses one and 13, verses two through 12, are Paul saying, "My friends, the darkest night has come to an end.
1: And the sun has risen So that let's read. Ephesians 3, verses 1-13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner
0: for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly.
1: members of the same body and
0: partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his
1: power to me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given
0: preach to Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light
1: for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created
0: all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord,
1: in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering which is your glory. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us
0: to know, help us to understand, help us to comprehend, help us to believe, help us to marvel and be amazed at the revelation of your mystery. The mystery that was hidden for ages, the mystery that the sons of men in previous generations didn't have the privilege of beholding, but we now behold.
1: We encounter Christ, your Son, this morning. Behold the manifold wisdom of our triune God through the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray,
0: amen. This word mystery, I see it four times in this passage, and we've seen it before in the book of Ephesians. Back in chapter 1, and we've referenced these two verses in chapter 1 multiple times. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, and Paul references in in verse 9 the mystery of God's will. And then here in chapter 3, Paul says, here it is.
1: Here it is. The mystery is revealed.
0: Another sovereign grace pastor named Josh Blunt has said that revelations r- revealings revelations and surprises they are revealing not 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 that they're revelatory by nature of course they are of course they reveal the surprise and and in this case they reveal a mystery but surprises and revelations reveal something about us Our responses to surprises reveal what's in our heart. They reveal what we're amazed by. They reveal what we're annoyed by. They reveal what we're motivated by. They reveal what we're scared by. I'm the kind of person who hates to be surprised, like the kind of jump out at you kind of surprise. Uh, a, A good friend yesterday, this just came off the cuff right now, but I was preparing this sermon. I was in our bedroom typing away and, and a good friend was running by our house on a long run and Kelsey and the boys were out in the driveway and our garage was open and, and this friend said, hey, can, can I go in and say, say hi to Kyle? And my wife said, yeah, sure, go ahead. And so he comes in, in our house and then just throws our bedroom door open. He says, hey, Kyle. I just about jumped out of my skin. I don't like that. I don't like it at all. And my, my family knows this Sometimes I like to surprise my wife with a, an, an unexpected date night. And if, if I've planned accordingly, if I have arranged everything, it is a delight to her. What comes out of her heart is appreciation and delight. But you know, if I haven't considered how we're going to do childcare, or once we you know start the date night, and she says, so where are we going for dinner? And I say, I don't know. What, what, what would you like? This does not bring delight out of her. Uh, this, does, this does not bring joy and affection out of her. It brings, it brings anxiety and nervousness because now she has to think of all these things rather than be served by me in the planning of preparation. and preparation. Surprises bring, bring something out of us. They reveal what is in our hearts. And in our passage today, Paul says in verses 2 through 5 of chapter 3, he says, "He says, my friends, by God's grace, God
1: revealed to me the mystery of his wealth. He revealed it to me. A mystery that had not
0: been made known to anybody in history past, not even Israel. And he's made this mystery known to me, and to you through me. Get this, here it is. This mystery, according to verse 6, look down at verse 6, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel.
1: This is the mystery. This is the surprise. But be honest here. Be honest here. How does that mystery land on you? What, what does it reveal about your heart? Does it land on you and cause you to say, oh, oh, oh that's the mystery? I, I would have preferred something better than that. Oh, that's the mystery that God has
0: hidden for ages? This is God's grand plan? In our, in our modern American sensibilities, this would be something akin to somebody announcing that, that Americans have, have formed a U- united bond
1: with Australians. And you go, oh, okay.
0: Thanks for letting me know. Maybe your response, maybe this, this lands on you and you go, gosh, Lord, I, I, I want to be amazed by this, but I don't understand. I, I, I want to know why this, is, why this is so amazing. I want to know why Paul is so affected by this. I want to know why Paul would give his life for this and say, hey, you
1: don't lose heart over my impending execution because is the been fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise. And listen,
0: God is the one doing the revealing here. Okay? God, whose character is blameless and, and whose capability is unmatched. He's the one who has revealed this mystery. So if there is anything deficient, in our response to the revelation of this mystery, it must not be a deficiency in the revelation itself. It must not be a deficiency in him if God is the one doing the revealing. It must be something in us. And friends, that is Paul's burden here. He knows his readers may have a deficient response to what's been revealed to them, and so be prone to to discouragement at his chains. He knows that we are, are prone to an impaired response to the revelation of this mystery. He doesn't want us to, he wants us to get this. And, and, and get this, think of this. He spent all of chapter two, if you were here the last couple of weeks, he spent all of chapter two revealing the details of this mystery. <laughs> he, said, he said, by grace you have been saved. In Christ, you have been raised to new life from spiritual death. In him, you are now alive. You have been made alive in Christ. And then beyond that, there's a corporate dimension to it in that the hostility that you had between one another and all of your divisions and disunity that that came from outward appearances, they're gone. In Christ, you have been reconciled to one another, united to one another in Christ, and not only that, you have been reconciled to God himself. The hostility has been broken down between you and God that was created by your sin, and in Christ's atoning death, you've been reconciled to God and have become a member of his family. Those are the details of this mystery. And then look at this text. Look at verse 1. He starts a thought. Notice this. I don't know if you notice this. (laughs) He starts a thought. For this reason, I, Paul, he intends to resume his prayer from back to chapter 1. But he never finishes that thought until verse 14. Look down to verse 14 of chapter 3. He says, for this reason, (laughs) I bow my knees before the Father. So he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, for, for this reason, I, Paul, and he intends to say what he says in verse, verse 14 or beyond, but he gets sidetracked. Why?
1: Because he's thinking to himself, he cannot risk failing to Even despite what I've told them in chapter 2, I cannot risk the possibility that they would hear the revelation of this mystery and still be prone to discouragement. This is the greatest thing that they could
0: ever understand. They need to fully understand that. Their gaze needs to be lifted high enough that their fears and discouragement still may not be eradicated enough. So he stops mid-thought after saying, for this reason, I, Paul, he stops mid-thought and he says, to you who are prone to lose heart, hold this
1: mystery. Understand this.
0: Why is it difficult for us to be bold this mystery? What, why are we prone if we're honest with ourselves, to go, oh, oh, that's the
1: mystery? Well, for
0: several reasons. One being because we're over-entertained. We're easily amazed and impressed by by whatever it is that's swirling around us. Another reason is that unbelief crouches constantly at the door of our hearts. But there's another reason. There's another reason I want to submit to you. Again, Josh, Josh Blunt says, there's an assumption that we bring to the table, especially as modern Americans. And the assumption is that if God is going to save anybody, he has to offer it to everybody. So of course, he has to save Jews and Gentiles. There's no surprise to that. It's this thought that our kids are brought up with, that if you bring cupcakes to school, you better bring enough for everybody. It's the assumption that if God is going to save one people, he is obligated to save all people.
1: That is not the assumption the
0: Bible makes. From the first sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 onward, the general and constant assumption of the Bible is that God is under no obligation to save anybody. And yet God chose an ethnic people to be his people at Mount Sinai following the events of the Exodus, when God delivered the the Hebrew people from 400 years of slavery At the hands of the Egyptians, and he demonstrated his great, his grace and his power in delivering them from the hands of the Egyptians, and brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai. And he said, "I will be your God, and you will be my people." But friends, you and I, we don't belong to that
1: people. We are not of that ethnic group. God is under no obligation. To call any people other than those people, his
0: Another pastor named Mickey Connolly said that it was thought, prior to when Paul was writing this letter, it was thought that Israel would forever be the only people of God and that only through becoming part of Israel that people could be saved. That was the general assumption. And the mystery revealed is that God was going to work through a new people, this reconciled people, the church. But listen, if, if God had this idea to create one new man from the two, like we heard last week, and make Jews and Gentiles fellow heirs and members of the same body,
1: why did he wait so long to reveal the mystery? Why did he wait until then? Why? One commentator says because it was a centuries-long object lesson so that we would understand the weight and the revelation of this mystery.
0: The reason God waited so long to reveal this mystery was so that we would understand the weight of the revelation of this mystery so that we would not underestimate it. Again, this is why Paul is so intent on communicating to the Ephesians why this is so amazing. And what was this object
1: lesson? The object lesson was in the sinfulness
0: of the human heart and the mercy of God. This centuries-long object lesson was an object lesson in the sinfulness of the human heart and in the mercy of God. Think about this, if if any nation if any nation should have been able to love God and should have been able to live in peace with him, it should have been the nation that experienced his grace and witnessed his power in the Exodus and had been called by God his own people, right? And yet Psalm 95 says that they saw his work says that the fathers of the Israelites saw his work in the exodus. In Psalm 95.8, they hardened hardened their hearts against him. Psalm 95.9 says that they put God to the test in their unbelief. Psalm 95.10 says that they went astray from him in their heart. Moments, moments after he had saved So it wouldn't be surprising if if pagan nations rebelled against God, that his own chosen people would rebel against him. And then throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament really is a catalog of them cycling through their rebellion against the God who had chosen them and loved them over and over and over. And so, again,
1: Pastor Josh Blunt says the conclusion is
0: perhaps. Not that God should try another people, but that perhaps on these terms it is impossible for a holy God to be joined to
1: a sinful people.
0: In other words, salvation couldn't even come from joining ethnic Israel because they were just as rebellious against God as a
1: pagan nation. So, what's the centuries long object lesson? That only God can overcome the sinfulness of the human heart of His people. God says, I will save my people, not because I'm obligated, because I'm so. This is critical. The Old Testament is an object lesson that God is not obligated to save anybody. Because even those whom he is to be his people, still rebel against them.
0: And after this centuries-long object lesson, here's the mystery that's revealed. Here's the mystery that's revealed. Not only that God will save his chosen people by his sovereign mercy, but it'll create a new chosen people comprised
1: of Jews and Gentiles to be saved by his
0: mercy. And listen, Jews and Gentiles,
1: it's just the tip of
0: the iceberg. Gentiles were simply those who had the deepest division with the Jews in that day and age. Paul is speaking specifically here of the Greek Gentiles who were the biggest people group who lived alongside the Jews in in the ancient Near East. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Jesus, in his ministry, he says, that the gospel would go forth to the ends of the earth. So it's not just Jews, or it's not just that Gentiles become fellow heirs with the Jews, but that Africans become fellow heirs with the Jews, and the
1: Chinese become fellow heirs with the Jews, and Afghan people become fellow heirs with the Jews, Indian people, Russian people become fellow heirs with the Jews, and American people, and Australians. every people in the world.
0: to become fellow heirs, part of one body, partakers in the promises of God. And how is this mystery revealed? Look at verses 7-9. through Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to what?
1: to the Gentile the
0: unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church this new people the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Through the preaching of the gospel, this priest made known. What is the gospel? It is the preaching of the good news of the unsearchable riches in Christ. Verse 8. God was under no obligation to save anybody from their sins, not even his own people, yet he sent his own son.
1: To die and be death. To live a sinless life, yet be crucified for sin to be the unexpected embodiment of God's mercy to all who believe. Paul was given the grace to
0: preach to those who were previously not God's people and who had no hope of ever receiving God's mercy the mystery that had, not, that had, had been hidden for ages been hidden for ages. And as Paul preached, listen, the manifold wisdom of God was made known. He preached the gospel, which resulted in the church, this, this new man, and through the church, the manifold wisdom of God was made known. And manifold means literally, it means, it means multicolored or diverse or intricate. It's,
1: it's, it's a picture of a blossom opening up what was what was hidden inside opens up and is made visible the wisdom of God blossoms on the understanding of whom of all of creation the wisdom of God most
0: brilliantly and colorfully displayed to the understanding of all of creation including and even Look at verse 10. Paul says, including and even the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Friends, this language, this language is is reserved in the New Testament for
1: for the spiritual opponents of God. Demonic forces, Satan.
0: Paul's preaching of the unsearchable riches of Christ unfolded the brilliant mystery of God causing even his fiercest opponents
1: to take notice. And upon taking notice, they said, they knew they had been corrupt. Through the preaching of this gospel that Paul preached, all of this
0: took place wisdom of God, made, the manifold wisdom of God made known, the history, or the mystery, hidden for ages
1: revealed, would you have liked to have heard that sermon? My friends, every Sunday when you hear the gospel, you hear
0: that sermon that has that effect. Every time you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached, the mystery is revealed once again. And every time you gather together, you are literally seeing the mystery revealed. A multi-ethnic people saved by God's mercy and made fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise who now have access to God by one spirit. The gospel reveals the mystery, and the church is the mystery. This this sermon series, and we've said this, the book of Ephesians, is about this central fact that the church is what God is doing in the world today, and that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, don't underestimate that. Don't hear that and think, yeah, well, that's great that you would say that, Christian, but that's just sort of your belief. Paul's saying, no, no, this is Paul's plan from before time. This is his grand plan. The mystery
1: revealed is the church. Church.
0: In chapter 3, verse 20, look down all the way to verse 20. I'm giving you a preview of what's coming next week. But Paul does continue his prayer. And he prays for the Ephesians. He prays that God would do far more abundantly than they could ever ask or imagine. Why does Paul pray
1: that God would do far more abundantly than they could even ever ask or imagine? Because God had already done that. Because God had already done far beyond what you or I or the Ephesians ever could have asked or imagined. He had sent his son and in his son
0: he had reconciled people who had unreconcilable differences with each other to one another. And through his son, he had reconciled them all together with God.
1: done the impossible. You, you can imagine this because you know this. It may have even become familiar. But those who had never heard the mystery revealed, this was
0: unthinkable. And it should still be unthinkable to us. The the point here Paul's trying to make is that we are a part of of something that is better than we could have ever asked or imagined. And so in in 3.20, next week's week's passage, Paul's saying, pray to that God and expect that that God will continue to do that kind of work in the rest of your life. Because that's the kind of God he is. In the church, the the, the long, cold night that started in Genesis 3 has ended. The sun has dawned in Christ. And though outside the church the night persists, the cold, dark night persists outside the church, outside of this one new body, In the church,
1: bask in the warmth of the sunrise. Never said.
0: The very existence of the church, persisting through age to age, declares the manifold wisdom of God. Do you see God's big reveal? This is God's big plan. The church. And that's Paul's burden for you, that you would know that, to see that, and having seen and understood and believed that, that you would not lose heart. That you would be filled with courage and steadfastness. I ask
1: you, what is it that tempt? What is it that tempts you? Because that's what Paul would ask you, saying, "My friend, as a member of this of this one new humanity, this one new body." What tempts you? And whatever your answer is to that question, it probably looms large. It's probably significant in your thoughts, your worries, and your concerns. Paul's imprisonment loomed large
0: in the mind of the Ephesians. Before he'd been imprisoned, Paul left Ephesus, and his departure from Ephesus, uh, the Book of Acts records, is just characterized by tears. They they were deep friends dear friends with one another. His imprisonment concerned them deeply, yet Paul barely gives his imprisonment
1: and impending execution two verses in this whole book.
0: Commentator Doug Moo says, Paul doesn't want his suffering to cause his readers to doubt that God's sovereign plan really comes.
1: Paul minors on his imprisonment.
0: What he majors on is the mystery of the church that exists through the gospel. The church that makes the heavens take note.
1: What he minors on his imprisonment. That alone is instructive, isn't it? What empty you lose Part Maybe it's when you look out at our city's broken see a city that's largely unchanged from when we planted this church six years ago. still is broken. The, the, the need just is great. That what causes you to lose heart.
0: Maybe it's when change, growth, or, or maturity in the church happens, it happens slowly. And it doesn't match what you'd expect
1: when you read Passages of the Bible. See that progress together feels more hard fought than it should. That what tempt to lose heart. Maybe it when new guests come and don't return. Maybe when people you love walk out of the church or people you love walk out of your life. that you love and have invested in and have invested in you all of a sudden aren't there anymore. Or they're not there in the same way anymore. What causes you?
0: Maybe it's the suffering and the hardship you're personally experiencing right now. Or it's the suffering and the hardship of somebody else. And you look, look on it and it's somebody that you love and you just want to fix it.
1: But that hardship just persists for them. And you're tempted to hard.
0: Let me close with an illustration. This illustration doesn't belong to me. In fact, almost nothing of what I've ever said is original to me. I've begged, borrowed, and stolen everything that I've said. But a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was running along the, the Delaware River. I was out on the East Coast. And and I'd, I'd never seen the Delaware River, and I assumed it was much like maybe the Santa Ana River. Not really. It's not really a river. But I was stunned by how big the Delaware River is. I mean, I'm watching a, a, a freighter and, and, and large battleships sail down this river. It's huge. Now, imagine I'm standing at the bank of the Delaware River, and I, and I pick up a, a, a small flat stone. And I think, I want to skip a rock. And so I take that stone and I throw it across the river to try to skip it. Imagine somebody comes up to me and he says, are you kidding me? How do you do such a Don't you realize that by throwing that rock in the river, you could alter the course of this river? Don't you realize that, that, that by throwing this rock in this river, In a a mere few short years, this river could dry up. Do you understand the the ecological damage that you could potentially be causing by throwing this rock in this river? Now, I hope I would be gracious in my reply to this person, but what this person is suggesting and and becoming so upset about
1: is absurd. Is utterly absurd. Church, friends, like a strong, swift river. The mystery revealed through the gospel in Christ Jesus, in the church, is like a strong, swift river coursing through history until the day that Christ returns runs with the power of God itself.
0: It is as deep as the unsearchable riches of Christ. It is as wide as the manifold wisdom of God.
1: Whatever is tempting you to lose heart, it's like that small flat hill. We're easily tempted to leave. Whatever that is that's causing you to lose heart, going to support God's purposes for your
0: life, or, or it has some effect on the course of God's goodness for you and his church. Which, my friend, I would say just very
1: graciously and gently, that is absurd. That is absurd. Whatever tempts you to lose heart is no, it's no more than a small stone. Persevere with courage. Press on joy. Because of the mystery
0: that's been revealed. Because in the church, the long night has ended. The sun has risen, and it's not going to set ever again. If you are in Christ, what you are a part of is better than
1: anything you could have ever asked or imagined so do not. Would you pray?
0: Heavenly Father, I pray specifically for for anybody who is tempted to lose heart this morning, anybody who is discouraged, anybody who's lost sight of what you're doing by your spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own hearts or in the hearts of their brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that you would give perseverance, and courage, and joy. Even though whatever it is that's tempting them to lose heart may seem serious, Lord, I pray that you would help us to know and to see that it's no more than a small stone thrown into a wide
1: river. Lord, thank you for the mystery that's
0: been revealed to us. Thank you that we are fellow heirs members of the same body, partakers of the promise, those who have access in one spirit to you, God himself. Thank you that we are a part of what puts the heavenly realm on notice.
1: Let's have eyes for that. Lift our gaze this way. Jesus' name